0: Open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Last week we looked at engaged creation. The reason we did that was it was laying the foundation for this week. And the first point of, of our message on marriage today is marriage is clearly God's design. Marriage is clearly God's design. And We have that design from Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And so last week, if you're wondering what we believe at Grace Baptist Church about Genesis, we believe every word of it is true. And it happened exactly the way that God said that it happened. So look at Genesis chapter 1 in verse 26. The Bible says, "...and God said, let us make man in our image." So what is us? That's the Trinity, the Godhead. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Notice that that God does identify a hierarchy in the scriptures. People have dominion over animals, right? And we get to eat them. It's wonderful, right? We're not supposed to eat animals. Why did God make them out of meat? And I want you to notice something about God's creation. If you look in verse 10, chapter 1 and verse 10, "...and God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called He seas, and God saw that it was what? Good." Look at verse 12, "...and the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after His kind, and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after His kind, and God saw that it was good." Look at verse 18, "...and to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the dark the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good." Verse 21, "...and God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good." And God blessed them, saying, "...be fruitful and multiply." And fill the waters in the seas, and let the fowl multiply in the earth. And then look at verse 25. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and every cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Verse 31. And God made everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. It was very good. So, here's the idea. When God made the creation, it was what? It was good, but there was a problem. There was a problem with the creation. Look at chapter 2, verse 18. The Bible says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make and help meet for him. So the first thing that I want us to, to look at today is that Marriage is clearly God's design. God established three institutions. The first is the home, the second is human government, and the third is the church. And all three of those institutions still exist, and all of them have a part in God's plan. Is that right? So God's three institutions are what? The home, human government, and the church, and God has a plan for all of those. And it's interesting the government can only be as good as the homes that make it up. The church can only be as good as the homes the marriages that make up the church. God's institutions are not exclusive one of the other. They're all made to fit together, and he wants them to be good. Now, here's some evidence for the goodness of God's plan. Now, how many of you know that there is a a debate today over what's called gay marriage? I had someone ask me one time, what do you think about gay marriage? And I said, what? They said, gay marriage. I said, I, I, I don't understand. You know, gay marriage. What, I, I don't know. What do you mean? Gay marriage. What are you talking about? Well, you know, a, a man marrying a man or a woman marrying what? I don't understand. And they were starting to get really frustrated with me. I said, let me ask you a question to help you. What do you think about dry water? <laughs> what, what do you think about hot ice? There's no such thing. I said, exactly. Marriage is a union under God between a man and a woman for life. That's what marriage is. So to say homosexual marriage, that's like saying that my son is a short, tall person. It, it's nonsensical. It, it, has no, it There's no basis in reality for it. But we understand that there is a discussion... Even in evangelicalism now, there are evangelical churches on the left wing of Christianity that are now wanting to accept the homosexual lifestyle and what they would say is monogamous gay marriage. Well, let's see if that's healthy. Um, Mexican sociologist Fernando Pliego, a researcher at the Autonomous National University of Mexico, looked at 351 academic studies. Think about this. They researched 351 academic studies in 13 countries and five continents. According to one summary of Pliego's research, the members, listen to this, the members of traditional families. What's a traditional family? Father, mother, and children. That's a traditional family. Members of traditional families enjoy better physical health, less mental illness, higher incomes, and steadier employment. They and their children live in better housing, enjoy more loving and cooperative relationships, and report less physical or sexual violence. Moreover, when the bonds between parents and children are more positive, drug, alcohol, and tobacco use is lower, children are better socialized and cooperative, they commit fewer crimes, and they perform better in school. Now, how many of you needed a study to tell you that? Don't you love it when studies... You know, I'm going to do a study on does the sun really rise in the east? Does the sun really... And we're going to spend millions of dollars and we're going to do 351 different studies on nine continents in 15 different languages to determine... And you know what they're going to find out? The sun rises in the east and sets in the west. That's what this found out. God's design is one man, one woman for life. That's God's design. Is that right? Is that God's design? Now, can God's grace heal Broken homes. Yes. If someone is coming from a broken home, can God still use them and bless them? Yes. Yes. And yet God's plan is still, God's best is for one man, one woman, for life, and for the children to grow up in a home where dad loves God, mom loves God, they love each other, and the children are reared to know Him. Is that God's best? Now, uh, uh, how can I say this? This sermon is not about me, but let's make it about me for just a minute. I don't like doing what I'm about to do. I don't like that I have to do this because someone will be offended that I just said that God's plan is for one man, one woman, for life. And what they say is, well, that's not where I am. Well, where you are has absolutely nothing to do with what God said. Is that right? The Bible says that in Genesis chapter 6 that God's plan was for men to live 120 years. Most of us are probably not going to live 120 years. Why? Sin. So when homes aren't the way that God had intended them to be, What's the reason? Sin. Sin. And so, let's, let's remove ourselves from the equation and establish God's best, and then let's find ourselves in God's best. That's what we're going to do today. All right? That's what we're going to do. And it's really important that we do that. And, and let me just say this. Why? You might say, Pastor, why don't you like having to do what you just did? Um... And I don't ever want anyone to be hurt in a church service. I don't want anyone to be hurt in a church service. And so what happens is with pastors, remember people don't go into the ministry because they like insulting people. Right? You go into the ministry because you love the Lord and you want people to understand God's word. and You want them to grow and have God's best for them. That's why you go into the ministry. And yet, Our culture has gotten so far from the biblical model that when you state the truth of God, just just in a matter-of-fact way, that's considered hateful and unloving and unkind. I don't want to be hateful and unloving and unkind. I, I want you to know what God's best is for you. I want your children to grow up with the results that we just read from that study. And I want your kids, most of all, to know God. And I want that relationship between Christ and the church to be modeled in the home so your children know who God is, your children know how they're supposed to love. I want the husband and wife relationship to be so great that your children, that your boys know what kind of girl to look for, that your girls know what kind of boy to look for because of what they have seen modeled at home. How many of you have ever said this? Man, I don't ever want to be like my dad. Have you ever said that? Good luck. Good luck. You ever walk by a mirror, you know, you said, I want to be like my dad, and you walk by your mirror and you look at, oh, no. (laughs) Now, listen, it's so interesting how many girls marry a guy just like their dad. Dads, do you want your daughter to marry a girl just, wait a minute. (laughs) That's from the previous point. Dads, do you want your daughters to marry a guy just like you? Remember that old, I had a barbershop quartet record when I was a kid. And I know that sounds weird, but I did. And there was a song, I want to be, I want a girl just like a girl that married dear old dad. Right? And I wanted a girl that would love me and respect me the way that my mom did my dad. God's design for the home is perfect. And if we'll follow God's design for the home, we can have a wonderful home, a wonderful relationship. And let me add this last point. Well, not the last point, but on this subject. Um, If you have had a marriage that has failed, and biblically, And you can biblically remarry. You know that there are some people whose marriages fail and they cannot scripturally remarry. How many of you understand that? Okay. But if you have a marriage that has failed and you can scripturally remarry, how about you make that home the exact home that God wants you to have? Amen? What a wonderful thing. And you young people, I want you to know what that is. So, marriage. It is good. It's good. God. So my first point is marriage is clearly God's design, and we can see that. And we're going to get some more information from that in a minute. Number two, God's design for marriage is that it be good. God's desire or design for marriage is that it be good. Look at Genesis chapter two again, verse eighteen. And the Lord God said, "It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make and help meet for him." So, here is God's picture of goodness. That there's a man and a woman who is helpful and suited to Him. That's God's plan for goodness. Have you ever met a couple and you're wondering, how did those two ever get together? Seems like they hate each other. You ever seen some people like that? That's not good. (laughs) That's not good. Now, look. The Bible says in verse 19, And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. For Adam there was not found and help meet for him. There was, So you know what this text says? A dog is really not man's best friend. It's interesting. In the animal world, a man can't find his companion. Can't do it. God has created a woman. God has created a woman for a man. What a wonderful thing that is. That's good. That's good. Uh, Brother Knox said that when Adam was naming the animals, he got tired toward the end. and He started saying, oh, bluebird, blackbird got less creative on that. Um, so look at what God does. None of those animals could could meet his needs. Verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Let me stop for a minute. So let's stop for a minute. With our 21st century sensibilities, notice what we've been saying. There there wasn't a, a a woman, there wasn't a companion suitable for the man. Have you noticed that the whole story is from a man's perspective? How many of you have noticed that? Now, that can be offensive to 21st century womanhood. How many of you recognize that? That that can be offensive. I don't know what to tell you. It's what happened. It's it's just what happened, all right? Isn't it good sometimes for us just to get our heads around the way that the Bible says something, how it's presented, and then here's what we have to ask, is this offensive to me? Is God relating what happened offensive to me? If it is, what needs to change? Me or God's word? That's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting. Okay, now, look at what it says. Verse 21, first surgery. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said... Now notice, there's nothing like this recorded about the animals. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Um, There's so much that we could say about that. But what I want to get right here, first of all, is that God's design for marriage is that it be good. And one of the things that I want to think about is the word good. Think about the word good. When we think of the word good, we think that that's kind of a middle place. It's positive. It's not bad. It's good, but it's not fantastic. Would you all agree with that? There's even a book, 2001, Jim Collins wrote a book called From Good to Great. Why some corporations make it and others don't. Something like that. From good to great. And so when we read this that it was good, well, it wasn't really great. No, 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 no. We have to understand it biblically. The contrast to good in the Bible, the way that you define good in the Bible is it's the direct opposite of evil. So when you think of evil, what do you think of? As bad as it can get, right? Evil. That guy that kept the girls in the house in Cleveland for all those years. That's evil. Um, ISIS burning children to death or drowning children, whatever they're doing, all these kids over there, that's evil. In, um, In Africa, where they just put 30 kids in a school building and burned it to the ground, or in a church building and burned it to the ground. That's, that's what we think of we think of evil, right? Well, the opposite of that is good. The opposite. The, the earth, when God created it, it was perfect. It was... The, it, think of it in a superlative term. That's the kind of marriage God wants you to have. God wants you to have a marriage that is as good as it can possibly be excellent. So now let me ask you this. How would you describe your marriage? Where on that spectrum from evil to the best good where is your marriage in that god wants you to experience the fullness and wonder of his love in your home so what is god's formula for this home his formula comes down to two words and they're found in ephesians 5:33 so let's go there and look at it ephesians 5:33 Two words describe a good marriage. Nevertheless, Ephesians 5.33, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So two words that make up a good marriage. Love and reverence. Love and reverence. So let's look at the first one. Love and reverence. And look with me. Keep your place in Ephesians because that's where we're going to be for most of the message. But go over to Colossians chapter 3 and then put a ribbon there at Colossians 3 because we're going to come back to it in a minute. Colossians 3 and look at verse 18. Wives... So, Colossians 3.18, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. So, in these two words, love and reverence, are uh, th- there's so much good possible, and yet it conjures up so much evil in so many people. So let's look at what these words are supposed to be. So first of all, let's let's direct our thoughts to the husband. The Bible says, Husband, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 25. (laughs) Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And then we saw in Colossians 3.19. That husbands love your wives. So God speaks to the woman's will, and He speaks to the man's heart. Isn't that interesting? God speaks to the woman's will, but He speaks to the man's heart. Doesn't it seem like it ought to be the other way around? Right? What's the old statement? Men are logical, women are emotional. That's not insulting. How I many of you have heard that statement? Right, God deals with it exactly the opposite of that. God speaks to the woman's will and He speaks to the man's heart. Now, th- th- I, this is such an interesting thing to me. Uh, keep your pl- put. I have two ribbons so I can do this. We're going to go to Ephesians and Colossians back and forth. So go go to the Colossians three nineteen. I want you to see something. Husbands, love your wives, and be not what. Bitter against them. Okay, so here's biblical definitions. It really helps us to look at Bible words. A husband's supposed to love his wife. So what is the opposite of good? Evil. So the way that we can define love in a marriage relationship, the opposite of love is bitterness. Bitterness. It's amazing how many men resent their wives. They're bitter towards them. They're bitter. Now, how many of you think that that's the recipe for a good marriage? No. No. And all of those jokes that men tell, um, it's my wife's birthday on Friday. What do you get for her? He said, what do you give me? All those jokes, you know, the... Guy said, you got a 25th anniversary coming up. What are you doing for your 25th anniversary? I'm taking my wife to Paris, France. Man, that's fantastic. What are you going to do for your 50th? Go back and get her. All of those jokes, where do they come from? From men being bitter against their wives. Now, sometimes it's just funny. You know, don't have to, you know my favorite mother-in-law joke, I've told it, is uh, what does a slinky and my mother-in-law have in common? They both put a smile on my face when I push them down the stairs. Okay? Now, I don't want to push my mother-in-law down the stairs. It's a funny joke. Sometimes people take things too seriously. You all understand what I'm saying there? My mother-in-law, since I told her, now says, what does my son-in-law and a slinky have in common? But I think she really does want to push me down the stairs. But the, so sometimes jokes are just funny. You know, y'all agree with that? People are too sensitive. You know, tell me short jokes. They're funny. I don't care. Um, Now, this is really important. The basis for a lot of that humor is men are often bitter against their wives. We're going to find the why when we get to the women. But what is the man supposed to do with his wife? Husbands? Love your wives. Let's look at the Bible and find out what that actually looks like. You know, you can turn on the radio and you can find lots of songs about love, of course, but what does it actually look like? So now, let's just go to Ephesians chapter 5, and I want to go through this quickly, and let's look at what love looks like from the husband's perspective. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So what does this look like? You're supposed to love her through sacrifice. You're supposed to love her through sacrifice. What are you willing to give up for your wife? Willing to give up your buddies? Willing to give up your hobbies? You know, hunting season comes along, and there are some women, they don't see their husbands at all. Now, if that's something that you two have decided, and she's happy with that, she may be glad to be rid of you for a little while... That's just fine. I'm not saying that you shouldn't go hunting or whatever. Um, That makes me think of when I said to Dalton Robertson one time, I said, uh, I'd I'd like to get into hunting. He said, first thing you've got to do is stop saying hunting. Hunting. Um, It reminds me of, uh, remember when John Kerry went to get a hunting license? He walked in with this brand new crispy Carhartt jacket. He said, I want me a hunting license. It sounded like an idiot. You know, that'd be like me saying, give me a hunting. I'm going to go hunting. All right. Now, I'm a city boy. I can't help it. Now, Love her through sacrifice. Love her through sacrifice. What are, does your wife know that she's worth more to you than anything else? Does your wife know that she's worth more to you than your job? Does your wife know that she's worth more to you than the children? Does your wife know that she's worth more to you than the pretty little girl that you work with? Sacrifice. 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 What did Jesus Christ give? He died. He took the sins of the world on him for the church, for you and for me. What God says is that's the way that we are supposed to love our wives, love her through sacrifice. Then the next thing, we're supposed to love her through holiness. Look at verse 26. Why did he die? Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it, with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. This is holiness. Jesus Christ died on the cross not only to save us, but to make us different from the world, to make us better. Now, here's the way that we think. Oh, I've got to fix my wife. You started out okay, but man, I am really going to help you. That's going to go over well, isn't it? You know, when we got married, you looked like this. But now we've got a treadmill. I want to take care of your hair. And that mouth of yours, we've got to change that. (laughs) Honeymoon. That's not going to work real good, is it? Is that going to work? Come on, guys. Is that going to work? No. No, not at all. What is this talking about? Through my love for her, I should raise her standard of holiness to God. How does that happen? It happens with the way I lead my home. I am supposed to direct her toward God, not toward the world. By the time we're done, when death does us part, we should be more holy as a couple than we were when we got married. Amen. That's what God wants us to do. So, love her through holiness. Then, next, love her through selfishness. What? Yeah, God knows us. God knows us. We're selfish. So, look at what he says. Look at verse 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself... For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. Okay, so here's what God says. You like yourself? Well, yeah. Yeah, that's how much you're supposed to love your wife. Well, it's so interesting. God says he starts it with love your wife as Christ loved the church. Well, if you can't do that, love her as much as you love yourself. That's hilarious. That is so funny. And it goes back to a simple principle, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Right? That's the opposite of do unto others before they do unto you. The, the idea is that you are supposed to love your wife as much as you love yourself. You want a glass of tea? You just find out if she wants a glass of tea. Well, let's just make it practical. Right? You want a new hunting rifle? Find out if she wants a new hunting rifle. <laughs> now, look, it's really important that we understand that. It's really simple. You have something that you want to do. Find out what she wants to do, and then find out if you can do that together. Or, if it's something that you would naturally do apart, find out what she wants to do and support her in that. Amen? Really, really important. So love her through selfishness. It's good for you. Then, love her through Christ. Look at verse 30. For we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. It could be that through your marriage, through the way that you've treated her, she's not very lovable anymore. You all know what I'm talking about? I mean, not in your own relationship maybe. Maybe it is in your relationship. But, you know, people can treat, so, treat their spouses in such a way that there is real resentment and bitterness in the relationship. And she can be behaving in a way that's not very lovely. So what are you supposed to do? Love her through Christ. Love her through Christ. He'll help you. He'll help her. Help you. Then, and I'll, and I'll tell you this, even if things are good, love her through Christ. Because you'll love her so much better through Christ than you could ever do without Him. Because He tells us, we love because we've first been loved, according to 1 John. Then, love her through priority. This is so important. Love her through priority. Look at verse 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. And have you ever heard a mother-in-law joke? Rarely do you hear a father-in-law joke. Isn't that right? Why mother-in-law jokes? Because mothers like to meddle. Whose fault is that usually? The husband's fault. We hadn't been married very long. Laura made me some potato salad. And I, it was good. I just happened to say this. This potato salad's really good. You ought to call my mom and get her recipe. Brilliant. Yes. Hi, I'm Jim. I'm an idiot. I did that. I promise you, I did that. It was like 10 years before she made potato salad again. (laughs) It is amazing how much trouble there is in homes because the husband won't leave mom and dad. There are people that won't go to the church God wants them to go to because mom and dad go to a different church. There's all kinds of trouble in homes. What you need to do is, you need, husbands, you need to make sure that your wife knows that she is way more important to you than your parents are. And this is vital. With child rearing, here's what happens. Couples get in a good Bible-preaching church like Grace Baptist. You learn about child rearing. We're going to be speaking on that here in the next few weeks. Learn what the Bible says about raising your kids. You start doing that, and mom undermines it. I can't believe you'd do that to that precious child. And all of a sudden, now there's all kinds of trouble in the home because grandma is undermining the disciplining of the children. Do you know what dad needs to say? Mom, you don't have to come over. You don't have to see the kids. If you're going to behave that way, you're out. You think mom's going to change? Well, she's not going to change or she's not going to see the kids. Why? What's more important? This relationship is way more important than mom and dad. Vital. 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 Now, you young people, make sure you get this. Before you get married, mom and dad are way more important to that ditzy little girl that you think is so awesome or that knuckleheaded guy that you think is so awesome. Your mom and dad will give you godly direction in that choice. Amen? Amen. But when you're married... When you're married, you can still get good godly advice from your parents. And if it's good godly advice, take it. But if there's meddling in the home that violates the scriptures, your spouse is way and must know that they're way more important to you than mom and dad are. Boy, we need some help from the scriptures to do that, don't we? Someone asked me just this last week why does it say that the man needs to leave father and mother? Apparently, it's more of a problem for the guy. It is so interesting how close boys are with their moms. It's really interesting. It, you know. In our house, Lydia could do everything on her own. Jacob needs help. <laughs> now, how many of you who have, who have boys and girls would say exactly the same thing? It's just, it's, I don't know why it is. It's just the way that it is. My mom said a guy isn't really a man until he turns 30. Then I turned 30 and she said it was 35. (laughs) The, The Bible makes it clear that this is the man's decision. Love her through priority. My wife needs to know that I love her more than I love mom and dad. I don't know that you can say that. I don't know that I love her more than mom and dad, but she's more important than mom and dad. Priority. Leave and cleave. That'd be a good sermon, wouldn't it? Leave and cleave. Amen. Leave and cleave. All right, now. <laughs> love her through priority. Then, love her. Look at verse 32. Love her through the church. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. There's a survey that they just had, and it described um, the marriages that make it. You know, half of marriages in America fail, and fewer people are getting married. That's a problem. Half of marriages fail. And you would think the statistic of evangelicals would be, that would be that it would be better. It's not. It's the same. Why is that? Well, what the study found is people who start their marriage, they, get, they have a church wedding and they regularly attend a Bible-preaching church, those marriages stay intact far in far greater numbers than people who attend church sporadically. Why is that? Because God has three institutions. The home, human government, and the church. How many of you here are ready to vote for anarchy? And this is what the liberals say about us, right? Because we want small government. They they call us anarchists. No, we're not anarchists. We just don't think the government ought to be able to tell us what kind of lettuce we can buy. You know, whatever. Or that we have to buy lettuce and we can't have meat. Whatever. Whatever. So, none of us are anarchists. None of us think there should be no government. None of us really believe there should be no homes. And yet, somehow, the connection between the home and the church, we don't understand the significance of it. You know what happens at church? You hear messages like this to help your home. You get to see other couples that are doing so well and have, have lasted through years and years and years. Zimmermans, how long have you all been married? 65, 65 years. Well, he. he 66. 65, I've been married. I didn't ask how long you've been happily married. I understand that's the there was a year where there was a trouble. Isn't it a blessing 66 years? Let's let's give them a hand. 66 years of marriage. That's what we get to see at church. And it can happen. It can work. Isn't it cool to see gray-haired people that are still together and that actually like each other? That's awesome. That's awesome. Take her to church. Love your wife through the church. And then love your wife uniquely. Look at verse 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. See what it says? Let every one of you in particular. You got to love your wife just for who she is. You know, you you start comparing your wife to other people. You know, especially if it's in magazines or whatever. You know, it's hard to compare to an airbrush. Right? Love your wife. Love her uniquely. Love her for who she is. She is a special person that God uniquely suited for you. Love her uniquely. Just love her. Marriage is such a wonderful thing. Just love her. Love her. And then... Look at verse 33 again. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. You know, before we go to the, the ladies, let me just ask you all this question. Husbands, does your wife feel, believe, that you are loving her the way that the scriptures just described it? Be a good conversation to have, wouldn't it? Be a really good conversation to have. Because often what you think and what she thinks are completely different. Has that ever happened before? Yeah. So this is why you've got to talk. All right? Use your words. (laughs) Let's look at the wife. Let's look at the wife. The wife reverence her husband. What does the word reverence mean? Fear mingled with respect and esteem or veneration. Fear. Mingled with respect and esteem or veneration. How many of you think the world likes that definition? No. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to put your husband, you're supposed to put your husband on a pedestal. That's what you're supposed to do. That's what reverence is. That's what it is. So what does that look like? What does it look like? Look at verse twenty-two. We're still in Ephesians five, verse twenty-two. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. As unto the Lord. What does it look like? Reverence him by submitting as unto the Lord. Now, if Jesus Christ came in here right now and asked you to do something, what would you do? Would you do it? If your husband came in here and asked you to do something right now, would you do it? And would you do it with the same attitude and the same spirit? That's how you're supposed to submit to your husband. Reverence him by submitting to him as unto the Lord. Then, reverence him by acknowledging... The headship of Jesus Christ. Look at the next verse, verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. In our marriage, everything is 50 50. That's unbiblical. Everything's supposed to be 100% 100% with him as the head. That's the biblical model of marriage. So submit to him with Christ as the head vital. It's vital. So what does this reverence look like? Reverence Him by submitting unto Him as unto the Lord. Reverence Him by acknowledging the the headship of Christ. And this is interesting. Reverence Him as your Savior. Reverence Him as your Savior. Look at the verse. Verse 23. Uh, Verse 24. I'm sorry. It is verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and He is the Savior of the body. So what do I mean by reverence Him as the Savior? It's very simple. Every man wants to be the hero. They won't tell you. They won't tell you. When I was a kid, I used to have daydreams about saving the day. wanted to be the hero. I remember it was at somebody's house. This is how weird it got. I think it was psychotic. I don't know. I need therapy. I was at the house one day and they had a really nice stereo and I was having this daydream that the stereo was falling and I dove and saved the stereo. <laughs> I am a super Jim. Every guy wants to be the hero. Not everybody, and not every guy can run the touchdown or dunk the basketball or catch the biggest bass, hit the golf ball the farthest, whatever. Every guy, though, wants to be the hero, whether they say it or not. The only place most men ever has the chance to be that is in the home. And that's why the Bible describes a woman sometimes as a continual dropping of water. Just diminishing him, diminishing him, diminishing him, tearing him down, tearing him down, tearing him down. Your dad is so stupid. Then the next day, do something with your son. What? What? Do you see how that is so dangerous? It is so dangerous. And every man needs that respect. He he has to have it. That's his self-worth. It comes from his bride. She builds him up. And do you know what the result of that is? He becomes the man that she can respect. Then, so reverence him as your hero. Then, reverence him in everything reverence has been everything, look at verse twenty four therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything that's hard. i've got to tell you, I understand how hard that is. Uh, let me read you something from John Phillips. This is so good. Listen to what he said, and this is about this verse verse thirty three Paul brought his discussion of the Christian. As a partner to a close by restating the principles of the marriage relationship in practical terms. Considering marriage as analogous to the mystical relationship between Christ and the church is interesting and inspiring, but we must bring the decision down to earth. After all, the husband wife relationship is a practical matter, subject to immense stresses and strains. If we forget all the ideals and mysticism, we must remember this husbands are to love their wives just as much and in the same way as they love themselves. Then, look at what it says. You can't look. I have it in front of me. <laughs> Paul had a parting word for the wife, too. Reverence your husband. The wife is, put to her hus- is to put her husband on a pedestal, make much of him, admire him, speak well of him, and defer to him. In this age of feminism, it is common for women to reject God's counsel on this issue. Someone may say, ah, but you don't know my husband. Well, God knows him, and God says that he is to be reverenced as a husband. Someone else may object, my husband is weak, foolish, and undeserving of my respect. How can I reverence him? Paul would answer, by being filled with the Spirit. By counting on your mystical union with Christ in the oneness of the body, and by realizing that in reverencing your husband you are fulfilling God's will and enabling the holy spirit to make you more like jesus and show the world the love the loveliness of christ through you. Alexander White said in his book on bible characters that when paul wrote his parting words to the wife he had one eye on rebecca. If we read the full genesis account of isaac and rebecca we discover practical lessons as well as interesting typology. This is so good. Listen. On the practical level, Isaac and Rebecca's marriage deteriorated. A number of factors contributed to the deterioration. I know it's hard to listen to stuff, but listen, this is really good. In the first place, Isaac was placid, quiet, and submissive, not a fighter. He was far more disposed to give in than to stand up for himself. Rebecca, by contrast, was resolute, clear thinking, and practical. She was a doer who had married a dreamer. Then, too, Isaac let Rebecca down. When he played the coward for his own safety. That would be hard to forgive and humanly speaking impossible to forget. Worst of all, as time went on, Isaac cultivated another first love, good food. He loved Esau because he brought him venison. Once he had loved Rebecca, now he loved himself. All of these factors turned Rebecca into a disgruntled wife. She ceased to reverence her husband. The original romance faded and disappeared. The harsh reality of daily life led her to go her own way, assert her dominant personality, and cultivate favoritism. A domestic tragedy of terrible proportions resulted. Agdon by his mother, Jacob lied, cheated, and deceived Isaac. Esau threatened to kill Jacob. Jacob had to leave home hurriedly, and Rebecca never saw her favorite son again. Isaac belatedly took the spiritual lead when it was almost too late. For a wife to reverence her husband may be difficult. Not to do so will be disastrous. Did you hear that? For a reverence, for, for a wife to reverence her husband may be difficult. Not to do so will be disastrous. The command does not mean that the wife has to submit to bullying or endorse her husband's foolish decisions. It does mean that instead of tearing him down, she must build him up. It does mean that she must respect the God-ordained husband-wife role in marriage, conceding that God knows best. ...and could overrule. A capable, strong-willed woman... ...who is married to an incompetent, passive man... ...certainly has a problem... ...but it is not too difficult a problem for God to solve. If she will seek the Holy Spirit's filling... ...if in the power of His enablement... ...she will reverence her husband, build him up... ...and help him where he is weak... ...and she is strong... ...her husband will develop the masculine qualities... ...and command her reverence. If she refuses to reverence her husband... She will dominate him and cause him to become resentful. Remember that word bitter? Or she could cause him to develop feminine characteristics that are most unlovely in a man while she develops masculine characteristics that are most unlovely in a woman. Is that amazing? And it's all true. I got a book by a great old Baptist named T.T. T. Eaton and it's called Talks on Getting Married. And so he's describing what a young man is supposed to look for in a bride. And he's using the story of uh, Athaliah and Jehoram. They were the, he, he was the son of Jehoshaphat. She was the daughter of Jezebel and Ahab. Interesting. How many of you think that was headed for trouble? Oh, yeah. Now listen to what this says. We cannot help feeling a degree of admiration for the genius and brilliancy of Athaliah. For 20 years alone in the midst of a hostile people who hated while they feared her, she was supreme ruler since she governed not only while she was queen regent, but during the life of her husband and her son. But along with our involuntary admiration for the wonderful force of character of Jezebel and Athaliah, we have contempt for Ahab and Jehoram. That they were weak enough to give up their worship of God at the dictation of their their wives. We are inclined to wish that Jezebel had gotten hold of a man like Asa, who was strong enough and brave enough to do right, no matter what disturbance he made in his own household, who never for a moment sacrificed principle for domestic peace, and who could stand alike the constant dripping of a very rainy day and the sudden thunderstorm of wrath. Do you know what those two ladies needed? First of all, they needed to know God. Secondly, they needed a godly man who could lead them. But how could that happen? They would have had to have reverenced Him. So what do we need? We need men who deserve to be reverenced, and we need women who are willing to reverence them. That's what we need. And here's the thing. If you'll build up your husband, you build him up, and you reverence him, and you show him respect and admiration, he'll want to be that man. Speak to Him the way you want Him to become. Build Him up. And you men, you love your wives in such a way that she admires you for it. And you know what you're going to have? You're going to have a good home. You're going to have a good marriage. You know what you have to do? Engage marriage. Engage marriage. Let's stand. Don't leave. Nobody leave. Everybody stand. I want you husbands... Wives, look at each other. Take your, take your wife by the hand. And wives, we're going to renew our wedding vows, and we've changed them a little bit. I want you to have a good home. So here's the bride to the groom. So I'm going to say I, and you say your name. Take thee and say his name. So Laura, why don't you come up here? It's going to be really tough if you're mad at each other. So this is the bride to the groom. So I take thee to be my lawfully wedded husband. Come on, play along. Let's start over. I take thee to be my lawfully wedded husband. Secure in, the that you will be Secure in the knowledge that you will be my constant friend, my, constant friend. my faithful partner in life, my partner in life. And, my one true love. and my one true love. On this special and holy day, On this and holy day I, reaffirm to you, I reaffirm to you in the presence of the one true God, in the of the one true God. and these witnesses, my sacred promise to stay by your side as your faithful wife. My sacred promise to stay by your side as your faithful wife. In sickness and in health. In sickness and in health. In joy and in sorrow. In joy and in sorrow. Through good times and bad. Through good times and bad. I further promise to love you without reservation. I further promise to love you without reservation. Comfort you in times of distress. Comfort you in times of distress. Encourage you to achieve all your goals. Realize all your dreams. dreams. Laugh with you and cry with you. you you. Grow with you in mind and spirit. In In relationship to Christ our Savior. Savior. Always to be open and honest with you. and you. And And reverence you for as long as we both shall live. Now husbands to your wife. I take thee to be my lawfully wedded wife, knowing in my heart that you will be my constant friend, my faithful partner in life, and my one true love. On this special and holy day, I reaffirm to you In the presence of the one true God and these witnesses, my sacred promise to stay by your side as your faithful husband. In sickness and in health, in joy and in sorrow, through good times and bad. I further promise to love you without reservation To honor and respect you. Encourage you to achieve all of your goals. Realize all of your dreams. Provide for your needs as best I can. Protect you from harm. Comfort you in times of distress. Grow with you in mind and spirit. And in relationship to Christ our Savior. Always to be open and honest with you. And love you for as long as we both shall live. If you promise to do that, husbands and wives, say, I do. I I do. do. Thank you. (laughs) Kiss your bride. (laughs) See what happens when she takes charge? All right, you can be seated. i got a song that I want to play as we finish this up. And what I want you to do, I want you to think about the song. I want you to think about your bride. I want you to think about your husband. Ladies, reverence him. Ask yourself this question. Have I built him up or have I torn him down? Have I helped him to realize his dreams or have I kept him from it? Wives or husbands, do you love your wife? Do you love her sacrificially? Do you love her through priority? Do you love her through holiness? Do you love her? Do you love her? Let's listen to this song.